annual meetings that we have every mm -hmm. year. Uh, they always are focused on a specific theme area. And a lot of those themes are directly, uh, are derived right out of uh, the president's S&T agenda for the federal agencies each year. So what are the high priorities of investment that the agencies are making? And in March of 2021, the theme is on artificial intelligence and machine learning. And what we're able to do to bring all parties together, and I think that's that's one of our main mission areas in, in, in doing the annual meeting, is to look at all perspectives of the mm -hmm. topic. And so one panel is going to be on all the advanced technologies around AI and machine learning. And then what are the skill sets or the mix of skill sets that the workforce needs it today, tomorrow? And then finally, one of the hardest subjects probably is to address the social and ethical aspects of AI machine learning. So we're trying to package all of that together and bring the experts in the room who cover all those topics to sort of drive an agenda for future partnerships. You're listening to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. Join your hosts, Michael and Jenna, as they discuss all things ORAU through interviews with our experts who provide innovative scientific and technical solutions for our customers. They'll talk about ORAU's storied history, how we're impacting an ever-changing world, and our commitment to our community. Welcome to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. Well, good Wednesday morning and welcome to another episode of Further Together, the ORAU podcast. I am your host, without my co-host Jenna Harpenow this week. Um, but we have a great episode coming up today. We are going to talk about the future of research the University Partnerships Office here at ORAU, and I have two experts in that area. I have Ken Tobin and Kathy Four, who are both in the RUPO office to talk all about research and how research is moving forward here in the 21st century and all of those great things. So. Ken and Kathy, if you would, very quickly, just tell us who you are in relation to the Research and University Partnerships Office. Hi. Thank you, Michael. I guess I'll start real quick. So I'm, as you said, Ken Tobin, and I am the uh, uh, Vice President and uh, Senior Research Officer for what we're now calling the Research and University Partnerships Office. Um, I started with the company back in May, and uh, at that time, uh, the research office and university partnerships was two different entities, and um, uh, as of the beginning of this fiscal year, we brought them together. And so I'm, I'm working with uh, Kathy and others in the, the new research and university partnerships office to address a lot of these issues around working with our university partners and um, working with our, our research staff and programs and our business development folks here in within ORU. Excellent. Thank you, sir. Kathy? Yes, thanks. I'm Kathy Four. I'm Director of University Partnerships. And I'm excited about our new uh, research and university partnerships office, uh, a new integrated office uh, for ORU. And 
it will, uh, I'm especially excited about how we can continue to bring our university consortium members uh, into uh, our future plans for growth and research uh, through uh, very strategic partnerships across multiple, uh, multiple areas of opportunities. Excellent. Thank you both for that. And I know there are a lot of great partnerships and things to share, and we're going to do a lot of that um, in this episode. So I want to get started with talking about the University Consortium. Uh, Kathy, you and I have done this a little bit in the past, in, in previous episodes of the podcast, but um, for either or both of you, let's talk about the University Consortium. You know, it, it makes us unique. It goes back to the genesis of ORAU, back after the Manhattan Project. Talk about what the University Consortium is and really why it's unique to our organization. Okay, so let, so let me start since I'm kind of a newbie to this and, and you know, my um, coming to an understanding of what our University Consortium really means to the organization is something that's uh, really uh, um, made the job interesting and valuable to me because I, I you know, in my role, I, I get to work with our university consortium. I get to try and link up our our uh, our internal research capabilities and the business areas that we're trying to grow to our university partners and provide some value to them as a consortium. But as you were saying, Michael, that consortium it really it, it goes back to the the origins of, of ORAU, and it's a it's a very unique characteristic of ORU for us to have a, a consortium of over 127 PhD granting universities um, <clears throat> that are, um, um, you know, interested in, in access to um, our capabilities, to the, the, the federal capabilities around programs and research labs and things like that. And so for us to be able to help kind of bring opportunities to the forefront to, to um, to provide uh, opportunities for the faculty at those at those universities, for us to be able to leverage their um, their research laboratories and their their um, their their own sort of reputations in the various areas of science and technology that they're interested in, I think it's a it's a great job. It's it's very interesting. So I'm, you know, I I, I see I see Rupo, the, the new research and university partnership offices um, role, is really to to leverage that consortium as well as provide value to that consortium as we go forward because it's it's just one of the things that makes ORAU very unique. Mm -hmm. Kathy, talk about how um, we develop and, you know, we, we work to develop and grow the consortium by connecting their strengths, really, to what our customers, the government agencies that we work for, um, what they need. How do we do that? And, and I guess that's really part of the, the secret sauce that makes us special. It is the secret sauce. And there are a lot of people out there in uh, private industry and in federal agencies and at uh, institutions that are not members who look at ORU as being the hub for the expertise within academia to do science and technology. And so they, they realize that 
it's not very easy sometimes to know who to call at a university to talk about a research project, who to contact. And so we have such a tight relationship with each of our members from the president on down. And we know their capabilities. Uh, and, and so we bring that knowledge to the forefront. And in a sense, I do play matchmaker. So <laughs> um, understanding what the, the needs are from industry and government and other parties and matching that with the capabilities of our member universities is frankly a lot of fun. I've been doing it for quite some time and enjoy it. And it's really nice to do it in a way where you bring the right parties together in a very interdisciplinary type of environment and just watch the magic happen. And I know we've been, we've been, you've been, I say we like I've been doing that, but you've been doing that kind of being the matchmaker for a number of years. And one of the things kind of in our recent history that has made it at least to me feel special is we've done this series of webinars where we've called on our university experts and really our own internal experts to help them leverage their expertise mm -hmm. so that our federal agency partners can hear about um, and learn about their expertise in areas from you know wastewater treatment to you mm -hmm. know um, now we're working on, you know, data science. So yeah. kind of all over the map. And something pretty unique, uh, again, to add to the flavor of the, the value that the consortium brings is that when a new institution wants to become a member, uh, we talk to them about a business partnership. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of organizations that a university can join. Uh, but we think ours is pretty uh, different is very much very much different because jointly we go after opportunities and right. we do that through our shared research portfolios that we want to grow and uh, what I've been able to, to see evolve which excites me a lot is that when uh, an agency or private industry comes to us with a research problem then we can do the reach back to the universities and actually create what I call a cluster of uh, think tank experts to drive a research problem to a solution. Right. And from the beginning, actually develop a framework for what future research ought to look like mm -hmm. to address that need. And I think that's something that we've um, excelled at over the last couple of years. And you might even develop clusters around different er aspects of the same research problem. You know, right. what are the what are the logistics? What are the you know? Once we have a product, for lack of a better word, how do we get it out there? And all of those things. You know, what's the framework? What's the um, so that's been exciting. You know, again, as someone who, I'm a communicator, not a researcher, but as someone who's been able to watch that process develop, um, I've found that really fascinating. Ken, you've been with us since yeah. May, and the, as we've mentioned, you know, we went from the 
from sort of the research office and the university partnerships office being separate, what I guess prompted the the reorganization such that now one both organizations are under one roof. Yeah, it's a good question, and uh, well, really the the primary prompter in this particular case was um, Eric Abelquist um, retiring in October. <laughs> But uh, the research office and the university partnerships office had, you know, had had worked together already, and we were already supporting a number of activities around um, the research office. For example, supporting and helping with uh, things like the ODRD program. Um, and so it was kind of a natural fit to bring the two of them together, the two offices together, when when Eric retired, and and look at how we could, you know, even better leverage the sort of the, uh, the, the commonalities and the link up between what the, the two offices had done. And mm -hmm. you know, what is that? That's really, how do we help our researchers at ORU? How do we, let me put it this way. How do we actually create more research culture? How do we create new, uh, new staff who would like to do research and understand research better, but how do we kind of continue to grow that? And how can we do that by leveraging our university consortium to um, to leverage their expertise, capabilities in the in the, in the various areas where we have research capabilities as well. Right. So, um, I, like I say, I think it was just a natural fit to bring the two together. With this new structure, I, I really anticipate even greater opportunities for us to leverage what we do, and you know, with the with the Rupo team, that's everybody on kind of what was both sides of the old the old structure, and. Um, <clears throat> Uh, building uh, stronger collaborations with the universities, building stronger linkages to our researchers. Those are all the positives that are that are going to come out of the, the merging of the two offices. Okay. And I, I know one of the things that you are particularly passionate about, given your background, is development of yeah. intellectual property, um, you know, and how to protect yes. it and, you know, all of that. So mm -hmm. I know... Yeah. You know, internally, we're doing some education with our staff, but, I, you know, I know you have a background in, you know, patents. I do, I do. And yes, and, and the um, sort of the intellectual property culture of ORU is something that I see um, exists but could, could grow. We could really get people excited about the intellectual property aspect. <laughs> and, and creating our own intellectual property is not just about, you know, creating licenses or license revenue and those kinds of things. It actually is a, um, a, uh, a representation of our abilities and capabilities. It's, it's like adding something to your, to your resume so that when <laughs> we talk to people outside of ORU about where our strengths and such are, that's like a, a piece of the proof that right. we can do something uniquely, that we're creative, that we, um, that we can um, build, you know, ideas into, into new capabilities and technologies that benefit all of us, right? Benefit the community, benefit our nation and those kinds of things. And so intellectual property really adds a, a, an important additional facet of, of um, regard for what we do at ORU. So I, I did have in my, my previous work as a researcher, um, Lots of opportunities to take um, a, a project, 
create some sort of intellectual property, build a portfolio of, of technologies around that, which means potentially multiple uh, pieces of, of IP like patents or copyrights and use that to leverage and grow a new business around that topic or even to segue that business into another business area. Mm -hmm. Let's say from um, manufacturing to um, biomedical, you know, as an, as an example of some areas where I had some success. And so getting, getting our, our, our subject matter experts and our research staff within ORU to kind of look at intellectual property from that perspective, um, I think that would give ORU uh, a chance to really uh, double up on what we're trying to do and building new capabilities, building new business, building new programs as we go forward. So yeah, it's a, it's an important thing. Absolutely. I'd like more people to know about it. That's yeah. great. Um, and I, I don't want to skip over this, but I know the, I, I want to talk about the key areas for our research program, but um, just kind of building on the conversation about intellectual property, in addition to some other things that you have in mind for expanding the value proposition to our universities, I'm assuming that development of IP is, is one of those ways to expand that value proposition. It is actually. And, um, and one of the things that I don't know how much experience we have with us, but uh, with this to date, but I think we, we, we can do this well with our university partners. It's when we, when we have an opportunity to, um, um, co-propose and co-PI and, you know, projects going down the road. And we, we do see opportunities for those kinds of things coming up. You know, making sure that we have the right business processes in place to put in terms and conditions that allow us to leverage our intellectual property, allow them to leverage theirs, allow us to co-create and co-invent uh, where we, we, we share kind of the results of what we're doing. Um, those, are, those are all valuable things that, that come out of that value proposition too for our universities and, and for us. Thank you for that. We'll come back to the value proposition in a second, but I do want to talk about mm -hmm. the um, strategic research areas um, for ODRD funding and for folks who are not familiar with that term. Um, ODRD is ORU Directed Research and Development Funding um, that is basically seed money for research projects to get underway and hopefully gather additional funding to grow those projects, complete projects, do wide, wider scale research, et cetera. Um, talk about the key program areas um, around which ODRD funding is based and to the extent that you can, either of you, um, why those areas? Sure. So. Um let me start with this, and then, and of course, Kathy has a lot of experience with what our, you know, what we've invested in in the past, and how the ODRD process has worked as well. Mm -hmm. But um, when I came on board, I was looking at our ODRD process, and I was, and uh, uh, coming more or less to understand where we were investing the dollars that we had. Uh, a lot of our our process seemed to be driven either by the universities or by our own. Um, uh, ORU research staff, and it really cut across everything that we do. And so it was more about technology, which is important, but it didn't really comprehend 
as much the sort of business strategies that we have over the next couple of years, mm -hmm. right? So when we're looking at where, where we want to invest our discretionary resources so that we can, we can build new business and build new partnerships and all, we, we need to look at a lot of things, right? Who are our current customers and what are our programs that are around that? What's the National Science Foundation look at as the top, you know, 10 things that they want to invest in? What comes out of the Office of Science and uh, Technology Policy from the White House in terms of where federal dollars should be spent? And so when we're looking at an ODRD investment process is a way for us to build new capabilities, we should be looking specifically at how to build those new capabilities in areas where there's going to be funding and opportunity over the next three years, you know, two or three years. And so um, what we did was we, we decided to, um, to identify just a few, hopefully cross-cutting uh, strategic investment areas that we could um, uh, ask our, our researchers to, to really put their time and energy on so that um, once we, once we um, uh, can, can get those projects going, get those partnerships established with our universities and go forward with them, we can really be setting the groundwork, you know, for our preliminary studies, if you would, or, or our, our, our publications, if you would, mm -hmm. um, that would allow us to leverage that into new proposals and new businesses in those places where we've historically found funds and would like to, in the future, find new opportunities for funding. And so we, we held a number of internal meetings with uh, a bunch of uh, stakeholders. And when I say stakeholders, I mean folks from the business development organization, people from the program side of the house, and our researchers, right? Okay. Our people who are doing research and interested in research right now. And we, we used Meeting Sphere, which is a, a, a mechanism by which you can do a lot of brainstorming in a kind of a efficient, timely manner with the time you have a lot of, especially since we're doing all this virtually today. Right. And um, so as an outcome of those couple of meetings that we had, we were able to narrow down from a field of 20 or 30 topics that, you know, people thought could be of value to us uh, to three primary topics for investing for FY21. One of those is uh, uh, public health. One of those is data science and analytics. And one of those is diversity, equity, and inclusion studies. And so if you think of those topics, mm -hmm. like, like data science and analytics, that's, uh, it's not particularly specific. But if you look at the things that we're trying to do with, um, with our, sort of our health sciences areas, if you look at things we're trying to do with our um, 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 uh, sort of the, the educational abilities or the, the, the peer review and things like this, these are really kind of a cross-cutting set of topics in there. But if data science is around things like artificial intelligence and machine learning and data analytics, you can see how building some skills and capabilities there and applying them to the our, our program areas or our business development activity, you know, interest areas would, would be very cross-cutting, but still focused on something that's important to us right now. So I, yeah, I think that's, that's, uh, Kathy, what's your, what's your take on where we're doing, how we're yeah, doing with I agree ODR? with you. Uh, I definitely agree with you on, on everything you've said. And uh, what I've been able to experience is bringing a new uh, culture of innovation within ORU with our subject matter experts and sort of thinking outside the box of mm -hmm. the normal uh, services and expertise that we've been providing to our customers for a long time. And I think one of the best examples of uh, is the work that we did 
through ODRD with uh, Penn State and the issue of fake news mm-hmm. and misinformation, uh, bringing their cyber security expertise with our social sciences uh, capabilities to win two NSF proposals that they jointly worked on. And now they're rolling out new curriculum to some pilot universities about misinformation and actually how to, uh, and data analytics is a key part of that. But it's nice to see cyber expert and a social scientist working together to address a problem. That's pretty cool. It is cool. And it kind of goes back to what you talked about earlier about sort of having these clusters of experts and um, working together to, to solve a problem. Um, plus, you know, disinformation and misinformation is such a huge and important issue mm-hmm. um, in certainly our country and likely around the world these days that, you know, it, it has felt to me like you know, as someone who reports on the work that our researchers do, you know, both for our website and through the podcast, et cetera, um, we're doing a lot of cutting edge stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and very relevant to the times that we're living in. So it definitely feels like exciting days for, for RUPO and for ORU as and a one whole. one thing I will add is another example is our uh, annual meetings that we have every mm-hmm. year. Uh, they always are focused on a specific theme area and a lot of those themes are directly uh, are derived right out of uh, the president's S&T agenda for the federal agencies each year so what are the high priorities of investment that the agencies are making and in March of 2021 the theme is on artificial intelligence and machine learning and what we're able to do to bring all parties together, and I think that's that's one of our main mission areas in, in, in doing the annual meeting, is to look at all perspectives of the mm-hmm. topic. And so one panel is going to be on all the advanced technologies around AI and machine learning. And then what are the skill sets or the mix of skill sets that the workforce needs it today, tomorrow, and then finally, one of the hardest subjects probably is to address the social and ethical aspects of AI machine learning. So we're trying to package all of that together and bring the experts in the room to cover all those topics to sort of drive an agenda for future partnerships. That's really exciting. And that, you know, the annual meeting last year focused on smart cities. And um, I know that annual meeting is a huge part of the value proposition that we bring um, to our university um, consortium members. Um, Let's talk a little bit more about some of the other um, pieces of the value proposition and some of the partnerships that um, have resulted because of basically the way that we are a convener and a, you know, matchmaker, (laughs) as it were, in the research world. (laughs) 
So, um, yeah, that's and moving, you know, into the Rupo role and bringing the two offices together. Uh, one of the continuing conversations I've had with Kathy and other folks on the team have really been about what are we, what's our value proposition to our universities? Why do they want to be a member of ORU? What makes us different from other places where they could go and spend their time and energy? And and, you know, we have a very long history, of course, with, as we said earlier, with, with our, our consortium and all. And, and a lot of our things that we, we continue to do today and we want to continue to do because they're great, great little programs. But there are things like our, our how, you know, junior faculty awards, our event grants. Um, we've had over the last, I guess, four years participation with our universities in the ODRD process. Mm -hmm. and, and those are good things, but, but they're not really building the partnerships and building partnerships and programs even um, with our universities is really where we'd like to go. And so, um, you know, much of this was uh, already begun before I, I came on board with the company, but we have just a, a fantastic um, um, ongoing relationship right now with MITRE Corporation. And there's a number of opportunities and in fact, a number of activities that we've done that we've incorporated our um, universities into, like this past summer, we had the wastewater surveillance uh, for COVID-19 webinar, and mm -hmm. we had the, uh, the Gear Center webinar, which is about uh, processes for making government work better, things like this. And um, so the LIDOS relationship, the LIDOS program, is uh, that was also in play when I, when I came on board with, with the company. And uh, that's a, a, an excellent example of the value proposition that we're we're providing to our universities um it's it's uh to date we've uh executed or received about 10 task orders these essentially are are research projects that come from netl in areas of energy research and carbon sequestration and and things like this and um we're 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 tying them into our university consortium and so we 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 have uh 10 task orders we've received to date uh, there, uh, we're doing work with seven different universities. Um, we've been able to help fund the research that comes from NETL at those universities um, uh, about $1.4 million to date. And so uh, if we look at that, um, that's a pretty significant opportunity. Mm -hmm. And I see the opportunities to, to, to do that type of thing with the universities as, as growing. And then the opportunity to try and tie in our own research capabilities and our own research staff into those partnerships going forward is, is another great opportunity. So um, as long as I'm not carrying on too long on this particular topic, I mentioned I, we talked about MITRE for a little bit and, and mm -hmm. those various things. One of the kind of unique things, and it's really a unique um, um, opportunity that we have to work with our universities, but um, uh, MITRE and and ORU, of course, have been part of the um, the COVID-19 healthcare coalition for quite some time. Right. And through that relationship, um, we were asked if we wanted to work with them on uh, something that they, they've developed uh, through the CDC and, and, and other uh, sources of funding to help support our public health network around the nation in monitoring for COVID cases. Uh, so uh, somebody who's been exposed or somebody who has been uh, shown to be positive, you know, how do we keep track of those folks and how can our public health people, um, uh, uh, 
you know, build the statistics and do the analytics around where people are sick and where it's popping up and those kinds of things. Well, they had through that had a number of conversations and a lot of interest from the universities around the country who said, hey, well, we need some of those kinds of tools ourselves. Mm -hmm. So they asked us and it's because of the nature of, of ORU and how we we have this existing university consortium that we easily communicate with. Could we create a, um, a SARA alert capability for our university infrastructure, if you would, around the, around the country? And so we, we started on this process back in June, and, and now we have uh, pilots up and running um, with a, 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 an instance of the SARA alert capability or product that we call SARA alert academic. Right. And so um, I can talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes if you're interested, but that's, that's a great example where we're actually working to provide our university consortium with some tools to help them manage the COVID-19 crisis, as opposed to uh, the other activities that we do, which are to try and develop um, research partnerships and things like that. So it's kind of a new way to reach out and provide that, that value to our universities. Right. No, I feel free to talk more about this because I know it's, it's, new it's exciting there's a lot you know going on around Sarah yeah. alert academic yeah. anyway you know plus with i guess being on the i don't know third wave <laughs> second wave whatever yeah, we're calling it of the pandemic right. at this point um but the fall yeah. you know the the steep increase in case numbers um it yeah. may be more important than ever Right. So, so this fall has, has seen a lot of um, uh, stress in the university system. There, a lot of the, uh, um, the universities have high exposure rates and, and um, um, you know, of, of COVID-19, and they are trying to determine how to, to keep up with the numbers, how to uh, track everybody, mm-hmm. how to, you know, whether or not to stay open. And that's, that's part of the, the thing. Um, and of course, you know, if you have a lot of sick students that you send home, then you create a lot of sick parents and adults, uh, you know, uh, older adults and, and, and grandparents and things like this as well. And so um, trying to get this in hand is, is an important thing. So we, we really, we weren't able to start our pilot program until, uh, uh, about a month into the fall semester. So a lot of these universities are kind of fighting fires right now with all of the, the things that they are trying to do to keep up with it. But what we're bringing to them through Sarah Alert Academic is a, is a software tool, software method. Um, that's uh, It's easy to use. It's, it's the webpage portal. Once you're registered and signed in and everything, you can, you can, um, uh, register your monitorees. They could be students, they could be faculty, they could be staff, anybody who has an exposure issue or is exhibiting symptoms or has had a positive COVID test. Um, you can very easily enroll them in the system and keep keep track of them for a period of time. So it's, it's really useful, Sarah Alert Academic, for, uh, you know, rapidly identifying and, 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 and monitoring exposed individuals. It ensures, you know, we have immediate referral for care if that's necessary, and, and in a lot of cases it is. Um, all the information and data that the system captures is kept secure, and it, uh, it protects, uh, you know, uh, personally identifiable information and personal uh, health information and things like this, so it's a very strong system that we host. Um, and it really automates the workflow for the university health staff, which reduces the burden on, on their already kind of overburdened systems. Right. For um, um, for managing that those populations, 
So um, the things that we've done that have made it unique to the academic environment, um, um, you know, we're, we've really tailored it for use. So, mm-hmm. um, so for example, we, we, we have um, updated the sort of input data screens and things so that you can include student ID and faculty IDs, uh, for example. Um, you can um, um, uh, break up the, the campus into different what they call jurisdictions. So if you're interested in the North Campus or the South Campus or the Athletic Campus, uh, those kinds of things, or particular dormitories or floors and dormitories, you can really keep track of where you're, you're seeing issues in your population. And so we've, we've been able to update the, the Sierra Alert academic version to make it really apply to the university environment itself. And um, so we're, we're hopeful that we're going to be able to fan this out to a lot of universities in short order here. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're really kind of completing our, our pilot study right now, and we're reaching out to universities uh, right right now, this week, uh, last week, we're kind of the, the big pushes to get the, the news out that this is ready and available for people to sign up to and use if they would if they would have that interest. So it's a it's a, a unique and new way that we're working with universities that we've really never done in the past. It's really exciting. And I imagine, Ken, that with most universities in all likelihood being off campus by Thanksgiving, you know, as they prepare mm-hmm. to re-enter for the spring semester in January, right. that this will be a very valuable and useful tool. I, I believe it will, yeah. And, and of course, we see some opportunities for the universities as well. You know, we've, um, I guess, Pfizer announced uh, a very effective vaccine the other day. It's not been approved mm-hmm. yet. Right. And in the next three to six months, there could be a heavy vaccination campaign going on. Hopefully there will. And so I, I could even see using something like Alert Academic as a mechanism to understand who's been vaccinated and, you know, what the impacts are on, on enrollment in the system in, in terms of exposures and other issues that are going on. So Alert's really, it's not geared just towards um, um, COVID-19. Um, I, I, any, any sort of uh, health effect, any sort of disease state that we find ourselves in now and in the future, this can help you with that that whole monitoring and, and tracking characteristics of, of those things. So this could be a tool and a capability that a, a university or um, our public health, of course, in particular, could use into the, well into the future. So right. we, we just need to really think about that as well as we go forward. There will always be a need <laughs> for tracking something, yeah. I imagine, <laughs> moving forward. Um, I also wanted to ask you both about um, the new, I guess, new rebranded, the Minority Serving Institutions Research Council. And we have how many members of the consortium are minority serving institutions? 23? They're currently 23. 23, okay. Um, I, I, and I know we are literally just starting kind of conversations about the Minority Serving Institutions Research Council, but um, talk a little bit about the kind of the mission, the vision, um, strategy, that sort, that sort of thing, and, and really, why is this important right now? And, and I know that it is, um, particularly in light of, you know, what we've learned about 
minority communities, health disparities, you know, through COVID and other things we've seen yeah. in the fabulous year of 2020, um, you know, kind of the importance right. of this, this kind of outreach and work. So let me start real quick, but I'm going to ask Kathy to, to really go into this. She's, she's got a much longer track record of working with um, our HBCU MEI Council and with Desmond Stubbs in the past. So Desmond, mm -hmm. who's, who's working with us part of his time in RUPO, um, um, he's, he's been involved with the, what we were calling the HBCU MEI Council in the past. And um, in, the, in the last month or so, we've, we've had uh, several conversations about what we could do to try and sort of revitalize that council and make it, make it uh, you know, increase the value proposition to them. Mm -hmm. um, of course, they, they see that value proposition through being a, just a general participant and member of our university consortium. But um, as the HBCU MEI community, I think there's, there's other additional things that we can do to, um, to, to bring value to them as well. So, uh, of course, one of his, his um, recommendations was really to focus on the research aspects of things. And he really thought it was important to, to kind of rename them uh, the minority-serving minority institutions, which kind of is a broader umbrella over um, all of our institutions that, that, that fit into the HBCU MEI categories. Right. And so the uh, Minority Serving Institutions or MSI Research Council is what we're rebranding it. And um, <clears throat> he is uh, uh, working on helping us to um, create a new um, uh, charter for that, for that council and a new mission and strategy. And um, Kathy, you wanna talk about that a little bit? Yeah, and I'll start by saying that the council has well it is the formal committee of our board of directors okay and it's been in place for a number of years um, and it has always been seen as a another like i spoke before about a think tank of experts and more like a community of practice with respect to minority institutions because they do have special uh, attributes that they address in their own research, but we need to elevate that so that we're taking full advantage of that area of expertise. Um, the institutions, as diverse as they are, both geographically and in uh, the areas of research that they focus, they are viewed by the federal agencies as a tremendous resource. Mm -hmm. And I think that there, you know, there are a lot of organizations that deal with minority uh, uh, issues and have minority institutions as members. But I think what we're trying to do is to elevate our council to be science and technology leaders both research and education to address those special areas of needs that minority communities live and breathe in every day. Right. Related to health disparities, related to um, cultural issues, um, as we've seen with the pandemic, with mm -hmm. other things. And so they're a tremendous resource for us. And I think there's just a lot more that we can do. I'm excited to see how that 
um, grows and flourishes in the um, months and years to come. Because, you know, there's, there's a lot that I think those institutions can do to help us understand, but also that we can help them with um, to focus on their research excellence and the, you know, the things that they do well, so. That's right, and um, I'll give an example of something from a research area in material science that Tuskegee University mm -hmm. and HBCU in Alabama started a long time ago. They partnered with Georgia Tech. Uh, they have a long history of a strong partnership in material science. And Tuskegee would send their undergraduate students to graduate school at Georgia Tech. But now through that partnership, Tuskegee has been able to establish a PhD program in material science. And wow. they're now recognized as a leader in graduating top doctoral students because of that partnership with Georgia Tech. That's great. And, and that's not as common as you might think it would be. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think uh, from the university partnership standpoint, what ORU can do with our network of universities is to bridge those gaps mm -hmm. so that where some of the HBCUs and HSIs may want to, uh, in their in their goals, is to grow uh, a PhD program, say, in health physics or in some other discipline, then we can facilitate the right kind of partnerships to help make that happen. And that's pretty, that's very unique. And that ends up, that in, I guess I want to say that that expands their image as uh, more of graduating top talent. Mm -hmm. And therefore, the agencies are going to recruit them more often. So the, the benefits to all stakeholders involved in doing that is tremendous. That's excellent. It's a win-win. Mm -hmm. Love it. Ken and Kathy, we have talked about a lot in the last <laughs> hour-ish that we've been together. Um, any yeah. kind of concluding <clears throat> statements, um, wrap-up that you want to give before we draw this conversation to a close? Um, yeah, sure. I mean, I, I think that the new research in university partnerships organization. It's, it's going to continue to be the face of our university consortium at, at ORU today. And, and I see with, you know, all of the activities that we've just talked about here in the last little bit <laughs> are, are really showing how we're, we're, you know, going to continue to create even stronger links to our own research staff and our own business development activities that still pulls in our, our university consortium and, and, you know, benefits everybody. So it's, right. it's very positive from that, from that perspective. Um, I think our, our opportunity to leverage our university research capabilities and those collaborations um, in our federal and industry relationships is, 
going to continue to provide us with uh, enduring opportunities to learn and improve how we do things, what we're doing, um, and to expand the entire research and education ecosystem, if you would, of ORU and of our of our consortium, um, you know, across the board. So it's it's a good thing. We've got a lot of exciting things that are coming down the pike, and uh, I'm looking forward to being a part of it as we go forward. Awesome. How about you, Kathy? I think that we are demonstrating, and I hope that we will continue to demonstrate, that partnerships is what it's about. Mm -hmm. In this challenging times that we're in, you've got to partner to be successful. And the more you can partner, the more innovation that you can bring to address a need. And so, what I like to refer to uh, with respect to our universities is that we're creating smart partnerships. Mm -hmm. And these are sustainable partnerships. And it's definitely a contact sport. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, we have covered a lot and I know there are some wonderful things coming down the road for the Research and University Partnerships Office. So I look forward to having you both back um, and talking more about new, new wins, new partnerships, new everything. So thank you both so much for the time. And uh, we look forward to having you back soon. Thank you. You're very welcome. And I look forward to coming back. <laughs> <laughs> Have a great day. Thanks. Bye-bye. Right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Further Together, the ORU podcast. To learn more about any of the topics discussed by our experts, visit www.orau.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn at ORAU, and on Instagram at ORAU Together. If you like Further Together, the ORU podcast, we would appreciate you giving us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your reviews will help more people find the podcast.